You gotta, you gotta set yourself up for these things. Presence. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 10 of 3 and 2, the Match Play Age of Sigmar podcast. My name is Rich and tonight I'm joined by Matthew. Hi Matthew. They said it couldn't be done. What, 10 episodes? 10 episodes of this shit. (laughs) I'm also joined, before we get too (laughs) self-reflexive, we're also joined by Laura. Hi Laura. Hi. I'm mainly going to be trying not to cough on this episode so you can be the judge of how good I am at that listener or how good Matthew is editing mm. so yeah I guess it has been by the time this comes out quite a while since our last episode sorry we've been busy some of us have been ill it's um, mainly my fault because I haven't been able to talk for more than about 30 seconds about coughing for two weeks and I didn't think that would make a very good podcast no it's not ideal is it, it um, for the if best. anyone feels feels like they've lost out at a tournament because of our advice being missing, then maybe you readdress your expectations. <laughs> Reassess but, your hey. life priorities, everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, who needs to, you know, pay for incredible top-tier coaching when you could just listen to a podcast? Yeah. We'll teach you how to win some games and also lose a number of games that may oh, be yeah. fewer, but is quite often more than the number <laughs> of games that you win. There is quite often three and a two that is not always in the right order. Yes. <laughs> right. Before we get too bogged down in what we want to talk about this nearly said week, then I nearly said month, episode. Uh, <laughs> What hobby have people been doing? Laura, I'll start with you. Have you done any hobby while you've not been feeling great? Not a massive amount, but I've done bits. So I can't remember where I was up to the last time we recorded. I think I've probably painted my Ogroid Theradons since then, which is yeah. quite fun. And I did a few more Chaos Warriors to take me up to 30 Chaos Warriors in total. And I have painted most of a Crawlboy's Vulture. So I've done all the fun bits, as in, like, the actual vulture, and I haven't done the rider, who is still grey plastic. So there aren't (laughs) any photos of this on social media yet, but maybe by the time this actually comes out, I will have finished it. So there might be. I like that that's not much hobby. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, though. I think I painted respect for painting 30 Chaos Warriors. I know you've done it over quite a long time very sensibly doing them in small batches, but I painted one Chaos Warrior and wanted to die, so... They're my favourite anyway. thing to paint. I really like painting them. They're nice. They're they, should, they should be mine as well. I don't know. I tried to do it, like... I tried to do the one I did, like, every metal style, thinking, like, oh, I could do this whole style collecting like this. And I finished that one and went, I could do that. <laughs> or I could sell them one. <laughs> <laughs> Sensible. Oh, they're really fun. Do a little bit of armor, yeah. do a nice cloak, paint a kraken on the shields. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. where you that's where you went wrong, Rich. You didn't yeah, paint a kraken on the shields. Also introduced a lot of laborious trimming and sanding to the process. You see, for like the first ten I did really laborious trimming and sanding and varnishing. And then I realised you don't have to do the sanding and varnishing at all. You just get quite a sharp knife and trim it off, and any dents just look ah. like battle damage. So mm, I've now genius. just stopped doing the whole sanding and 
vanishing back up stage completely, and I think it's fine. Ten absolutely pristine warriors and their twenty busted lads. Yeah, yeah. Why not? As someone who recently had to save an Imperial Guard Sentinel from the brink of disaster after trying to gap fill it, then trying to sand down the gap filling, realizing I'd taken like all the rivets off it and then primed it, and the primer went fuzzy, and I had to sand it some more. I think, yeah, if you could just do it with a knife, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these the start collecting ones were harder because yeah. some of their shields, when you took the pattern off, there was then a hole that I had to fill. Whereas the really old oh. school Chaos Warriors just have really boring shields, so it's much easier. Ah, yeah, I hadn't people would like mold line scraping these days. Who cares, man? Yeah, I want to be like that, but I just get worse and worse. <laughs> Learned a new milliput technique I want to try now. Um, yeah. I, I do not want was. to. There was something I painted recently, and I looked at it, and it was painted, and there's just a massive, very visible mold line. And I was like, it's just going to stay here now. I might even highlight it. See? I, was, <laughs> I was painting a tree rev and found just like a bit of the sprue clip. Like when you clip it off the sprue, that was still on there. I just it was like a tree. Okay, then. Yeah, no, it was silver enough you can get away with that and no one will ever notice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, no, it looks a bit branchy. Oh, uh, okay. Fine. I got about 80% of the way through painting a Chaos Knight before I realised like, I hadn't actually attached one of the bits to the model and there was just like a gap where his shoulder should be. So, oh. anyway. At least it wasn't like delicately painting a bit that was going to be under something else. Like, I've done that a lot of times. <laughs> the sweat sub-assemblies are bad. Yeah, never do them. Yeah, there you go. Hot advice from 3 and 2. Glue your models together. Yeah, just do it. Just oh, completely. What's the worst that all, can happen? Throw them all in a bag. Shake them out. Oh, God, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Put them in the oven. Yeah. I. What did I do? I did all my Lumineth Wardens and Sentinels without doing sub-assemblies. And frankly, it was fine. Yeah. Really, I've possibly said this before, but I did a screaming bell without subassemblies. Yeah. My caveat to this advice is going to be that if you are painting a poor boy's vulture, you should not stick the goblin on the back before you paint it, because that was an absolute nightmare. So there's like a goblin, <laughs> and he's holding onto this like rack of like shelves of all this crap piled on it, and trying to paint bits of that through behind the back of a vulture. It was horrible. So to be honest, my advice would be just don't stick that bit on at all. Just like cut the goblin's head out and don't bother with that whole piece of model. But if you want to put it on, it should be a subassembly. Uh, I do not think of a vulture as an animal that is conducive to the kind of smooth movement that would benefit having a rack of shelves installed on it. It's all like tied it. on. But there's just loads right. of different things and textures. And there were a bunch of bits I didn't realise what they were for ages. There was something I thought was a pouch and realised after I painted it pouch coloured, it's actually a mouse. I had to repaint it. <laughs> I like the idea of a cruel boy or who's really into just having the smoothest ride possible on his yeah. on his vulture. Stancing his vulture. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you've got to be sneaky. You've got to be sneaky. Sneaky uh, how about you? 
<laughs> sneaky on your vulture the size of Teclas's cat, yes. How about you, Matthew? Have you done any hobbies since our last episode? Uh, any AOS hobby? Yeah, we won't talk about the massive part of small armored um, fighting vehicles behind me. But <laughs> so I think last time I'd painted a tree lord engine, and this time I have painted ten dryads, a warsong revenant, and then I'm like halfway through ten tree revs, ten gossamids, a Durthu, and a regular tree lord. That's a hell of a match. Yeah, so my I was gonna it's got like a community meetup in it's a week. And my original yeah, plan for that away. was to take my deepkin, which would have involved painting ten reavers. The deep law here is that those reavers will never be painted. So <laughs> instead what I did is got really excited about Sylvaneth. Well, I could paint two thousand points of Sylvaneth in like three weeks. Which is not factoring in all the trees, so you have to paint as well, obviously. But then circumstances have changed. I can only go to one day of this meetup, and then most of my schedule for that day is tiny tanks. So <laughs> that's sort of taken. Are you going to play AOS? Devastating. I, I can fit a game of AOS in as well right. on the Saturday, I think. But yeah, it means I'm not now trying to hit this goal because what's the point? And I'd rather do them a bit better. I'm still going to speed paint it because uh, I know that if I don't keep momentum going, it just like it's dead in the water as a project, as my 30k salamanders will attest. If they go in the cupboard of shame, they don't come back out for a long time. <laughs> so keep the momentum mm-hmm. up on them, but uh, maybe not quite as fast. So. But still, it's not bad having progress for me. So nice. What about you, Rich? Well, also, we'll not talk about the growing pile of Italians, Honk. small Italians. But I actually have done some AOS hobby, which is that my first two issues of Stormbringer, I think mm. the name Stormbringer magazine arrived. So I have built a killer boss with stab grot, question mark, and ten gut rippers, and also a knight arcanum for Stormcast. Mm. So I subscribe to that. I don't know if I'll keep the subscription up like for the whole run of it. With Imperium, I think I stopped around like 40 and just sort of decided I wasn't getting much out of it at that point but certainly while it's like some of the core cruel boys and stormcast stuff i have like a thousand point stormcast army so some extra stuff to add to that will be nice and um i want to do some small cruel boys i really like tyler mengel's flesh recipe for the cruel boys which is sort of like quite a bluey green in his style so i'm going to try and steal steal that not really sure how i'm going to paint the rest of them I can't quite decide if, again, they might be a bit of a, like, edge highlighting project to try and push that aspect of things rather than, like, positions. I know you sort of need to do all of it, all of them all at once for an army to look good. um, I reckon from having painted them, I'm not sure they're super well suited to edge highlighting because they've got a lot of, like, leathers and stuff which look feel like you need to do a bit more texturing on, maybe. Yeah, I have I haven't painted anything yet, so we'll see. I've also I had like Mengel's approach for the leather, and that was quite good and quite fairly. It's not super 
long. Yeah. He's quite good at his guides having like sort of like four or five steps for an area, which make it look like a bit pushed beyond just like base coat wash highlight, but not actually much more complex than that's paint. I keep having thoughts. The other thing I've been thinking of is I have the latest Gits Underworlds Warband, which is sort yeah. of tangentially AOS. Mm. Grin Cracks Loon Court, I think they're called. I bought those because I really wanted to experiment with like some, let's call it like funky slap shop or funky underpainting. So see one or two of them like bright green, but then I was thinking like what contrasts well with green, like purple or a red. So I was thinking of like basing them quite a saturated red and then dry brushing up to white from that and then putting the green contrast over and like I'm not sure how this would impact a squig, but you know. Well, so I was all also maybe thinking of doing something like that with the crawl boys with a bit more like directional lighting with the airbrush or something so it looks like they're in a murky swamp but i don't know we'll see i genuinely thought you were about to say you're going to start a second gets army after not finishing your first gets army no no that's still on the table i i played a game with my beast of chaos i bought the book and i played a game with them i think did I talk about that? I don't think I talked about that last episode. No, because the, the book's come out since the last one. Books hadn't come out, had they? Mm. So that's some hobby I did. But because I knew I was going to be doing that, I actually haven't bought the Gits book yet because I was like, well, maybe I want to play with this army a little bit first. Yeah. So I did have a game, like a proper game organised, and it got cancelled, and I haven't rescheduled it yet. So, But everything's all sort of on hold at the moment because I'm mainly doing my Golden Demon project, which is not iOS-related, but... Lots of thought going into that, and not much, not much effort going into other things other than when I need like an evening's break, and I just paint like one more color on the Cadian command squad that's been sat next to me for two weeks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's me. Did any of you play any games from the hobby side? I've played a bunch uh, I'm going to talk about in a bit, yeah. and I think yeah. I probably played a few practice games for that, but I can't remember anything about them, so I'm not going to talk we, about them now. We played some practice games. We think, think we played two yes. practice games, which were variously illuminating, but your tournament game was probably more interesting than those. I played against yeah. UKO to help the person writing the KO review for Goonhammer decide if they were as disgustingly good as he thought they were. <laughs> They're pretty so, good. We they seem a, they seem a bit more streamlined yeah. than they were. Had a perfect draw with him with my deepkin list that I've been sort of tinkering with as if I were playing competitively during this general's handbook, which is looking increasingly like it's not gonna happen, this would be the list I'd be running with. And I might just keep the same thing into the next season probably because it's quite fun. It uses lots of models alike. It's not spammy or anything. And yeah, it's an interesting one. The Alpha Knight Army is still crazy. Yeah. But you'd, you'd think playing into the like the theoretical hard counter to them, you would go worse. But yeah, they're a lot better than they used to be. So. <laughs> But I guess they're less dependent on shooting than they used to be, right? So, to some extent, Deepkin are maybe less of a hard counter than they were? Or is that not true? Yeah, it, 
it was also just kind of a weird game. Like lots of weird dice stuff happened. That means maybe you can't draw too much from it. Like. I gave him first and then proceeded to fail every single save and ward roll in my first turn, which probably Ugh. didn't help. But then we had turns after that where like crazy things happened with tanking his shooting phase with like one eel, which basically stopped his momentum at that point. So it's hard to extrapolate too much from games like that, where I think we both had crazy dice one one end of the scale that was very impactful because you know obviously like dice very often balance out over the course of the game but sometimes the way they balance out <laughs> it is more impactful than other types so. i'm really excited to play well both with and against mm-hmm. kale because i think now that the ironclad is less essential i can probably actually get my ko army out mm-hmm. of the house without it falling apart so the potential to actually play a real life game with them becomes a thing Oh, I think the problem with them that that's a blocker. <laughs> yeah, the problem with them maybe is that they're not actually any more fun to play against than they were before. Maybe less fun. That is <laughs> a shame. We'll we'll see what comes out in the wash. It's still very very early days, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the book's been out what like five days. So I have not taken mine out the cellophane wrapper yet, but I probably will try. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a couple of books still in cellophane from various amounts of time ago. and it's Apparently it has of... cool lore, so I want to read the cool lore, even if I don't actually play a game of it for a little bit. So, so. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like one of our mutual friends was saying they've like actually added a fair bit of new lore stuff, which is cool, because that's not been true of all the battle tomes. And no. I think I'll AO... them. <laughs> Skaven just have lots of lore, I guess, is the yeah. trade off. Ko could. Well, Skaven of... Battletome didn't have new anything, but I mean, beyond yeah. that. Do either of you have new rules about the, the new character, the new Ko character? Mm. Rules or model wise? Both seem pretty good. Yeah, you won't see it competitively, but it's fine. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cool model. Mm. It's quite really cheap. cool. You can see it being taken this season just as a. Chief nah. Gautamak, who does some stuff. I think you, there's like three or four heroes you take before him, and then you run out of More, points, more navigators. More navigators, yeah. Mm. Navigators, admirals, they're still really good. Chemists, maybe. There's, chemists still have that absurd gun. Yes, I think it does, yeah. 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 It's mm. good to shoot it very often, though, but... I think it's a cool model, but it's a missed opportunity to do a female Aradron. It is. That made me mm. sad. No. Yeah. But hey, I mean, head swaps exist. Yeah. Cool. Shall we get your section out of the way while you are still owning a, a functioning voice, Laura, and talk about your event you went to? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. So I went to the Age of Sigma match play event at Warhammer World, which at time of recording was about two weeks ago, probably longer ago by the time you listen to this podcast, depending how on the ball we are. (laughs) So it was my first tournament with my new Slaves to Darkness army, which is still an army I'm fairly new to. I think I'd probably play somewhere in the region of five to ten practice games with them. And it was also the first event I'd been to this GHB season. Yes, it was it was fun. I can't remember how many players there were. I feel like maybe sixty odd. That's not too bad. I might be overstating it. 
that might be I've totally forgotten. No idea. There was a decent amount of people. Hmm. It was quite low for a Warhammer World match play. Yeah, closer to two hundred on some. They hadn't absolutely sold out. I think there were like some spaces. Ah, cool. Maybe there were more. There might have been seventy. I mean, that hall is quite impressive when it's absolutely jammed full. So it's it's quite a lot nicer. I went to a hmm. Lord of the Rings like weekday event there recently, and there were like twenty four people at the whole event or something, and it was amazing. It was so quiet. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, back to back to AOS. Yeah. <laughs> So, I guess I should talk about my list. So, I took Host of the Everchosen, which is a sub-faction that gives you a 5-up rally and an extra banner enhancement. So, I ran 10 Chaos Chosen, because pretty much every Slaves of Darkness army has to have 10 Chaos Chosen in. Uh, 20 Chaos Warriors, 5 Chaos Knights. I had two Chaos Sorcerer Lords, Chaos Lord on Karkadrak, and an Exalted Hero of Chaos. And then I had a Chaos War Shrine, which was, I suppose, the slightly less meta bit of my list, I guess. It's one way of making Chosen fast. There were other ways, but it was the one I went for. And I had six Furies for sort of screening and objective grabbing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like quite a nice, well-rounded list. Yeah, it's not as good as the sort of as the cabalists list that people are running that has Baron Guard and ten Chaos Knights and ten mm-hmm. Chosen and sort of triple threat everything very fast. Mm-hmm. But I don't have the models for that, so I didn't run it. <laughs> but that's definitely yeah. the, the, that was the list that did best of the Slaves to Darkness lists at the event, and it, it has in particular it has better rend, which is something that my list lacks a bit and that I struggled with at times in the event. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, generally I think the list was fine. There were maybe a few tweaks I'd make to it, but it was it was broadly okay. There wasn't anything I hated about it. Nice. Um, so I mean, yeah, the general idea of the list is that the chosen are very killy. I did one that was Mark of Slanesh, so they get boosts to run and charge, and they can run and charge in the same turn if you spend a command point, and then the war shrine can give them a three d six charge which was extremely effective in the practice game I played against Matthew and then only happened mm. about once in the event because the War Shrine did not have good dice. Yeah. But the, the prospect played, of it is interesting. We, we played two games, and I think, with very similar armies and, like, the outcomes of those games were wildly different, entirely based on what happened with the Chosen. Like, that seemed to be the total key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the other thing I didn't take a battle regiment, which almost everyone else at the event did, and I probably <laughs> should have done. But I wanted to oh. take the Galician veterans battalion mm. that lets the well, particularly lets the Chaos Warriors fight in multiple ranks. Also the Chosen, but the Chosen have two inch range, so it's not as important for them. But it does make quite a big difference for the Chaos Warriors. Yeah. And then I took a Warlord battalion as well. Leah should have taken battle regiment. I'm quite. I might play a few games of it with battle regiment and see how much difference that makes. Yes, I guess I can talk through games. I'm not going to do super detailed rundowns of all of them, partly because it was two weeks ago, so I probably can't remember it all, and partly because my voice will die. But we'll see how we get (laughs) on. Should we say up front that you have done quite a detailed write-up on your blog? Yeah. You can say that, yes. I've got it open as a... Reminder to myself, so this, <laughs> the, the uh, you know report I'm about to give might be quite similar to the written one. But yeah, we can put my put the link in the show notes, maybe. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Like I will definitely. Yeah, some as well. 
Right, crack on. So my first game was against Iron Jaws with a lovely man called Jack. This probably ended up being my favourite game of the event, actually. It was a really fun game. I feel like it was one of the ones when he and I were, we were in very similar places to the kind of game we wanted. And also, nice. you know, our experience levels with our armies. I think he was very new to Age of Sigmar, but he'd played a lot of competitive 40k and he was right. very on top of the rules. This was probably actually the game like we had the fewest rules debates at all. So, yeah, I was really impressed that he was quite new to the game, but very good at sort of being a tournament player. That's cool. Yeah. The scenario was Prize of Galley, which is this one of the ones that's been around for a while now. It's very good. You got five objectives and you turn them on as you go. So they're not act when you one is active, turn one and then mm, sure. activate one every turn. So it's a good scenario. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he was Iron Jaws, he had a Moor Crusher, a mega boss on foot, two war chanters, unit of ten brutes, two units of five ard boys, and two units of six pigs, I think. So it was quite a nice sort of mixed stuff. That's a lot of that feels like a lot of stuff for an Igel's Army. It, does. it felt like quite a lot of stuff when it was sitting on the table. It was like this has a lot of wounds to get through. Well twelve pigs and ten brutes. And wow, okay. I'm going to assume it was fine. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I'm not suggesting that it's not fine. Yeah, I haven't played for cycles for quite a long time. Sounds so. about right. Is the hero package isn't as big as you quite often see with angels, maybe. Yeah, yeah. true. I like There's the, only one more crusher, which frees yeah. up a lot more space. Yeah. The Megaboss on foot in this battle pack is, is very spicy. It's probably the best Galvet. One of the best yeah. Galvets. It's up there. Or the Yoga Tyrant, so. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Tyrant rules. Yeah, you can put so many extra rules on the tyrant. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he let me go first, which I was expecting, and he turned on an objective on my left flank, which basically was where my knights were, and he had a mega boss and some odd boys, and his brutes opposite it. So I couldn't really do a lot turn one. I just moved on to the objective. I think I did a cheeky, cunning manoeuvre for the battle tactic, which is one where you move a Galchamp onto an objective outside your territory. And I have a Tunnel Master Galchamp for this purpose, so he did that. And everything else just sort of shuffled up a bit, except for the Furies, which I yeeted forward in order to get them within 12 of his Moor Crusher and a unit of pigs so that they couldn't do the hero phase move, mm-hmm. which I think was a good plan because yes. Moor Crusher didn't yeah, do a definitely. lot for the first three turns. The Iron Jaws hero phase move... Is what you can do with it is fixed depending on how far away enemy models are. So if they're close, the closer they are to you, the less flexible you get with that movement, basically. Yeah. Um, so it meant so he could have tried to charge the Furies, but they were, mm-hmm. you know, only just within 12 of him. So it would have been a really yeah, long, long yeah. charge, which isn't worth spending the command point on. Yeah, that's, that's sensible. So he actually had a really cautious turn one. I think maybe too cautious. He said that his kind of tendency was always to throw everything forward and that had not been serving him well, so he was trying to play it more tactically. Mm-hmm. So he left most of his stuff that wasn't at the objective just sitting exactly where it was. So his more crusher and the pigs, I think, didn't move at all. But he teleported the brutes forwards to give them a charge into my knights. And then he moved some stuff up to take the objective back off me. 
So his brutes did charge into my knights, but they riffed and my knights rolled amazing saves, so they didn't actually do a lot. I expected them just to wipe the knights completely, but actually I think they killed mm. one or two knights. They don't hit mega hard brutes. Yeah. He did quite, have yeah. bad dice though. I think I had really spicy oh. saves or something. I can't remember mm. exactly. Sorry, pause to cough. So then he won priority and gave me the turn because I guess half of his army was still just sitting at the back, so it would have been in a sort of similar position where he couldn't do a lot with it. Yeah. Um, so I brought the Chosen across from the middle and wiped out the Brutes completely. But it did mean I had a turn of not scoring much because I didn't have stuff that was... It was basically a choice of either do I kill the Brutes or do I score on the objectives. So I went for killing the Brutes, which I think was the right choice because otherwise they were just sitting there in my back line and I would have been... If I'd moved stuff forward, it would have exposed it to him charging it with loads of things. So, yeah. And then he had a really bad turn when he tried to get eye for an eye for a battle tactic, but his Ard boys completely fluffed it against the Furies. The Furies were absolutely my MVP unit in this game. They were amazing. So going into battle round three, we were roughly equal on points because Ard had a turn of bad objective scoring, but he had failed a battle tactic. So on turn three, I completely wiped his stuff on the left flank, basically. I just pushed the Chosen up and killed some Ard boys and I think the Mega Boss and just sort of was definitely in a strong position for objective scoring. And then he had a bit of a disaster where he took all the stuff that hadn't been doing anything for two turns and threw it forwards. But his more Crusher and Wonder units of pigs charged my Chaos Warriors and my Chaos Warriors just proved how tanky they were and just sat there and went, no, we're not going to die. So their mark of Nurgle, which makes them minus one to wound against them, and they have the oh. Nurgle... Banner, which means they're minus one rend against them when you attack them in melee. And that just really, really hurt him. So, you know, he was killing a few, but they were just absolute bosses and just stood there and took it. And then his other unit of pigs charged my chosen and the chosen killed them on his turn. So that was a really strong turn. And after that, it was definitely, you know, it was, we played the rest of the game out, but it was fairly in my favour from that point because I just yeah. had more stuff and his stuff that was still there was stuck in a massive fight in the middle that was, I think, you know, eventually he would have worn down the Chaos Warriors, but it just took too long. So, yeah, that was a bit of a... I hadn't expected the Chaos Warriors to be quite that tanky, so it was a good, you know, sign for me of just what they can do. I mean, they've, they've survived multiple turns of combat with a Leviadon and Aspects of the Storm before, right? So it's yeah. not... And they continued to be super tanky over the rest yeah. of the game, the, the event. Like, I was really impressed with them. They yeah. were the thing I was a little bit question mark about whether they were worth it going in. And actually, the I think it was a lot to do with the matchups I had, but the games I played, they did really well. And just having a unit I could rely on to, you know, tank stuff for multiple turns was really helpful. Does sound like your opponent's playing the wrong army. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he was overcompensating too much for having been too aggressive with it before. Yeah, there's kind of only one game plan with angels, right? Like, if you're not being aggressive with them, you're not doing anything. Yeah, I think he should have put more stuff forward. <coughs> Certainly, turn two. I think the you know, the fact that the Warcross had just sat there and did nothing at all for two turns was probably a mistake. Yeah. But yeah, it was a fun game. Yeah, listening to that report. Watching Richard's face was amazing because it. He the start of it was, I could get an Iron Jaws army again, and at <laughs> the, the end of time. it was, I'm not getting an Iron Jaws army again. No, has has this person considered Techless and Thirty Sentinels? <laughs> yeah, you did say he was a forty k player, right? I can't remember what you said his forty k army was, but no, it was it a really fun game. He was a really nice guy, and it was just mm-hmm. yeah. 
Sounds like a good game. Well, it ended up being a fairly comfortable win for me. It wasn't obvious that was going to be the case until like most of the way through the game. So it felt fairly tight for a lot of it. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Uruk War Clans. Uruk War Clans. So then game two, I played Stormcast, a very nice chap called Mark, I think. And it was a sort of Stormcast army that looks like an army. So he had hey. two dragons. He had four fulminators, but then he had some vindictors, some retributors, I think. So the hammer uh, ones. Yeah. The hammer paladins. Yeah. Two Old units school, of I think it was one with the grand hammers and one with shields. And mm-hmm. he had a few heroes. So he had, he had a knight and cantor. He had the one with the wings and knight as it was, I think. There's two with wings. Do they have a bow or do they have a lantern? <laughs> I think it's a knight as of us. I can't remember what it's. Okay. Azeroth is more likely to be yes. seen than the Yeah, the Knight Venator's Venator. Yeah. 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 And he had the Lord Impotent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Broadly, the story of this game was that we both really wanted to get turn two priority, and I didn't. So he gave me first turn, and I moved up a bit. I think I had a very, very long bomb charge opportunity with the chosen, but it would have left them like in the middle of nowhere by themselves, and then his whole army would have descended on them. So I went, no, let's not do this. And then on his turn, he did some damage. I think he killed my knights with one of the units of annihilators that deep stroked in. And then his dragons charged my Chaos Warriors, but again, the Chaos Warriors were super tanky, so the dragons did very little, and the Chaos when Warriors... Say, when you say dragons, are we talking... You're not talking Star Dragons. Right? Sorry. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, turn two priority was really important, because we were basically in a position when if he won it, he was going to be able to charge whatever he wanted with the Fulminators. And if I won it, I was going to be able to charge the Chosen into whatever I wanted in his army. And he won it and then just absolutely obliterated me. Like, I think the Fulminators charged the Chosen and the Annihilators charged <coughs> something. And I after I basically just had some Chaos Warriors and the odd other bit left after. If I'd run priority, I don't think I would have done as much because this is definitely an army where I struggle with lack of rend. There's ways to get the Chosen more rend if you so i get to roll once on the eye of the gods table at the start of the game for the chosen if i get a six again extra point of rend which is amazing what you can do is play legion of the first prince and then you get opportunities to roll more times on the eye of the gods table with the chosen which can get them really good rend so that's something else i want to try with a sort of similar list but running it as legion of the first prince and experimenting with that the other ways things i can do to get more rend is just add more knights or maybe some vanguard but yeah you I did find that the army struggled a bit against stuff that had, you know, three plus saves and potential to be on two plus saves. And however good chosen are, a lot of the hits bounce off in that situation. But it would definitely have been more of a game if I'd won the priority into two. I don't necessarily know that I'd have won. But yeah, it was fun. <coughs> the curse of Stormcast strikes three and two again. It's our it's our problem army. Yeah, yeah. we seem to struggle with it, all of us. <laughs> yeah. It was a good list, I think. Like he had, yeah. you know, it had a good, it had sort of really good mobility and opportunity to get into stuff and hit really hard when it did. So, and I just don't have enough to screen with. Like the Chaos Warriors are tanky, but they can't be everywhere. Kind yeah. Of. Stormcast just goes to show that your battle tome can have just the absolute worst shit imaginable 
for rules writing in it all the way through. But if you have like three or four actually good war scrolls, that can be enough to like <laughs> carry you through to having a decent army. Yeah. I think they, you know, I know formulators are really good, but when I've played against good Stormcast armies, they don't feel sort of broken good, if that makes no, sense. Like, no, you no, always think yeah, there's nothing can do against this and there is counterplay and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. The only time I felt like that about Stormcast models is Fulminators in Living City. So yeah, yeah that was weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was one-one after game two, which I was happy enough with. Mm-hmm. And then my game three was a Slaves to Darkness mirror match, which made me aware of just how miserable Slaves to Darkness mirror matches can be when you both have twenty Chaos Warriors, which we did. The most popular oh, army in the competitive game now, right? Yeah, so- it was. It was Good the most popular army at the event. There were loads of Slaves of Darkness armies there. So it wasn't an absolute mirror match. So he had 20 Chaos Warriors. I think he had two units of five knights. He didn't have any chosen. So he had a bunch of sort of more, you know, lighter stuff. So he had a big unit of Marauders. He had quite a few cultist units. And he had some Underworlds Warbands. So he had the Godsworn Hunt. And he had, I think he had the Null Spirit Pack as well. And he had a Lord on Karkadrak and then a couple of Galchamps. We had a Dark Oath Chieftain and Dark Oath War Queen. And the scenario was ours for the taking, which is one where you have three objectives. You have a centre objective and then you each, you have a home objective on one of your flanks in your territory. And you get you get more points if you capture your opponent's home objective, I think is how it works. And you get bonus points if you control a centre one with a Galchamp or something weird like that. It was fine, I think, was my conclusion for it. It seemed perfectly okay. It's got a very weird deployment zone. So on the flanks, you can start only 11 inches apart, which is quite weird. I'm not sure I like that aspect of it, but (coughs) it's okay to like. So essentially my plan was to try and get my Chosen onto his home objective as quickly as possible. So I put them 11 inches from his front line on that side. And I left my Chaos Warriors on my home objective because I thought they would control it okay. And they didn't have a massive amount in the middle. So I was kind of relying on the Chosen being able to capture the left flank and then swing across, I guess. I think he went first. And he did some slightly weird things because he charged his cultists into my Chosen, whereas I think he'd have done better to leave them three inches away (laughs) screening. So the Chosen (laughs) went, all right, thanks, and absolutely murdered the cultists, not surprisingly. Sorry, the Marauders. I think there was the Marauders and maybe the Untamed Beasts were over there or something. And then he charged two units of knights into my Chaos Warriors and they just bounced. So they killed a few, but then there was just basically on the game sort of... On the right-hand flank, it was just a really, really long fight where his knights were trying to kill my Chaos Warriors and slowly being killed over about three turns. Whereas on the left... Once they're not charging anymore, that, yeah. deter- that deteriorates into a real slugfest, doesn't it? Yeah, very much. And the Chaos Warriors are killy enough, but they're not. there's a lot of wounds in the knights, so it's still taking quite a lot of time to work through it all. And then my Chosen wiped out everything on the left and swung into the middle. But he had his Chaos Warriors in the middle. And I foolishly thought my Chosen might be able to kill a unit of Chaos Warriors. And actually, it turns out that if you fight one Chosen with Rend 1 into Chaos Warriors who reduce Rend by 1, 
they do very little. And in fact, the Chaos Warriors slowly kill the Chosen. So that was a mistake. I should just have let him ha have the centre and sit there. And I should have gone, right, I've got the other two objectives. It's fine. But that was definitely an error. So that made it closer than it might otherwise have been. Because if I'd just left the Chosen over on the side, that'd have been fine. Whereas I left my Karkadrak guarding the left-hand objective by himself. And then he was able to bring some cultists back. Sorry, I should, he was running the Ravagers sub-faction, I think, which lets you return cultists. So it was a slightly dicey moment when I thought he was going to be able to bring back a unit of marauders and swarm by Karkadrak, but actually the Karkadrak did fine and just beat up everything, and it was all okay. Uh, marauders are, are fully rubbish now. Like <laughs> They are, from what I saw in this game, spectacularly rubbish, yes. Yeah. This, this does I, sound I, like a, a classic Warhammer World opponent, right? Of like, He sounds like he's probably not that experienced, and this is the army that he owns. I, I suspect so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we talked. The game took ages because we had a few mm -hmm. sort of big target fights. So we didn't have a massive amount of time around it for sort of chats and stuff. But yeah, it ended up a reasonably comfortable win for me. We didn't. I think we maybe got to the end of turn four, and it was just taking forever. But it was reasonably straightforward at that point to figure mm -hmm. out it was, I was going to win. But yeah, the Chosen doing really badly into the Chaos Warriors was a bit of a wake-up call because I was definitely in the sort of frame of mind of Chosen will kill everything. And <laughs> this just made me think, actually, no, if you've got something that's got a good save and any kind of debuff, they absolutely will not. So, yeah. You know, it was a fun game. He was a nice chap. I don't know. I suppose I don't think real matches are ever as much fun as other games because you kind of want to play different armies and so on. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. you know, it's always nice to get a win, I guess. So. <laughs> What's the law? Why why are we fighting? Yeah. I mean for chaos, I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah. You can just make up anything. But, yeah. They're all bastards. <laughs> two one after day one then. Yeah, yes, good. I was hopeful that I was gonna get the three and two. So day two Yeah, I'm trying to think. I wasn't feeling super well on day two. I did consider dropping out of the event because the cough that I'm still getting over from had really kicked in this was about the first time it properly kicked in and i slept appallingly badly and was just like should i just give up but i was there mm -hmm. and i paid quite a lot of money to be there so i was like no i'm just gonna it's go and a, london to nottingham's a bit of a trek right i know bath to nottingham's really horrible so yeah so game four i played against caradron overlords so this is old book obviously the new book wasn't out at this point and the scenario was position of power or position over power it's one where you have two objectives on the extreme flanks that disappear after the third battle yeah. round. then you have one objective in each of your territories i'd actually played a practice game against caradron overlords on this exact scenario my opponent had i guess a fairly sort of standard ko list it was barrett zilfin he had an ironclad he had a frigate two units of 10 thunderers he had some arcanauts and he had a bunch of small heroes. We had an admiral, he had a navigator, and I think two chemists and maybe an Endrin master in the mix somewhere as well. I had This was the only game I think where I had choice of first turn and I took it and I shouldn't have taken it. That was an error. <laughs> I was really hoping I'd get a, the Chosen would do their thing of being very fast and get into his Arcanauts turn one. And if they'd done that, it would have been completely fine. But they didn't. I think like they failed everything that could have happened, basically. They rolled a really low run roll, and the War Shrine didn't get its spell off. And they had a long bomb. Yeah, they didn't. It was it just all went wrong. So I got both the flank objectives. I moved the Furies onto one and the Knights onto another. 
and I think I probably did my tunnel master gal tramp thing to get a hero onto one of them. And then the chosen just legged it down the board as fast as they could, which was not very fast for aforementioned reasons. <laughs> but I should have given him the turn. I think I was just getting a bit carried away at the prospect of actually doing the thing my army was set up to do and trying to make the chosen fast. But the problem is the Warshrine prayers are three with no option to boost it or re-roll it or anything. So quite often, as it turns out, they don't roll a three. <laughs> mm. I mean, there is an option to re-roll, right? You can take the high priest. Oh, no, it's not a hero. Not a hero. So I can't. Yeah. If, I, if there was an opportunity, I think I would honestly do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't mentioned the Warshrine, I think, in my summary of the games yet, and that's because it hasn't done very much. It's done, it does bits. Like, it has a six-up ward in a bubble around it, which is actually really useful for the army and was helpful quite a lot. And it is not awful in combat and so on. So it, it has been doing bits of stuff, but it didn't do as much as I had hoped it would. I think it's probably fair to say. So, uh, actually, looking at the event report, I might have I might have misjudged the Washline. I think possibly it actually did get the prayer off, and then the chosen rolled a seven on a three d six, and then re rolled it into a five or something. Anyway, they didn't make the charge. Is the point? They just ended up standing in the middle of the board, going, "Yeah, we're, we're not doing this." Mm-hmm. So then he, you know, sensibly sort of played it fairly cagey. I think he went after the flank objective that had the Furies and the Chaos Sorcerer Lord on. And he was able to deal with them. So he took that one back. And then he started a long process of whittling the Chosen down by shooting everything he could at them, which, you know, didn't kill a huge amount, but he killed some. And on turn two, I pretty much dealt with his Arcanauts, I think. I think there might have been, like, one brave Arcanaut that survived against some knights or something. But the Chosen did get into them and killed most of them. And I think my knights charged the other unit and killed them. So at this point, all the KO that are left are in a boat well out of my way (laughs) so broadly at this point I was up on points and I had three out of four objectives but it was kind of how long was I going to survive against Mm. his stuff shooting me because realistically I was probably never going to kill the ironclad it's got a really good save if I charge it it gives him an extra opportunity to shoot me with lots and lots of things and I also have to move off the objective to charge it so that's probably not a great idea so yeah at this point it was sort of very much how long can I survive I think a classic (laughs) KON game isn't it yeah, no, it really was. And I survived reasonably for two turns, helped by a very cheeky rally where the Chosen had got down to one model and I rallied back something like six of them. Oh. I found quite funny and my opponent was like, why is this? I hate yeah. rally. I hate it. Get rid of it. Yeah. But then on, I think it would have been his turn four. He just had a really good turn of shooting when everything came off for him and my save rolls failed me completely. So he wiped out all my stuff that was in his territory, basically, which was the Chosen and the Karkadrak and the Warshrine. So at this point, we were very close on points because I'd been scoring more on objectives than he had, but I was now running out of battle tactics that I could score. And also it was apparent that he was going to get his grand strategy, which was to have more Gal champions than me at the end of the game, I think. And I wasn't going to get mine, so I had to finish ahead on points. So it essentially came down to could I score a battle tactic on turn five? And there was nothing that was easy there were several Slaves to Darkness battle tactics that were theoretically possible, but quite unlikely. So I kind of had to pick which one I was going to go for. And I went for, can I make a charge with three units? I only had three units. Two of them had reasonably easy charges, and my Chaos Sorcerer Lord had something like a 10 or possibly an 11-inch charge, and they did not make that charge. <laughs> so I think I lost by a point or maybe two points. It was very oh. close. 
yeah. I don't think I played the game very well. I definitely shouldn't have gone first. So it, what I was going to ask is in that situation where you're you're taking the first turn, which I think you know, there's there's different thoughts on whether going first is is better or not in AOS. The default easiest thing to do is to go second, usually. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's the best thing to do. Because they want to double you, and he didn't. But had he doubled me, that would have been really good for them as well. But you obviously, there was a reason you did that. And if they had made the charge, it would have presumably put you in a really strong spot. So in that situation, do you have the resources in that whole combo of move, go fast? Are the resources available to do like an auto run six on them? That's what you would consider as part of the run and yeah, charge. Yeah, I do. I do sometimes. I certainly mm. have. I may even have done it on this occasion. Right. <laughs> I can't remember. The problem that you get is that if they to make them run and charge, you have to spend a command point on them in the charge phase. So yep. they can't do that and re-roll the charge. Mm-hmm. So you're very reliant. You've got to kind of make a call on either not running them and relying on a 3D6 charge or you run and charge them, and then you have to make the charge without a re-roll. And that's slightly annoying. <laughs> yes, although I guess you could look at, I don't know what points you are, but there's the bloodthirsty enhancement, potentially. Yeah. I, Get you that re-roll. Yeah. I took the... I just feel like if, you're, if your strategy is like yeah. so reliant on that, and actually your do I win or lose this game is based on this one charge, you want to pump as much into it as possible, right? Yeah, I mean that's what the you know Kabbalist list that's doing well does, doesn't it? It's, it is all about having all the resources to make sure you get all your spells and go fast and stuff. And that's, I mean, the advantage of having the, a big unit of knights is that the Chaos Sorcerer Lord has a spell that can make a mounted unit charge three d six, and you can make that very reliable with the heroic action that lets them cast spells on three d six rather than two d six. But because I'm relying on the War Shrine, I don't have that sort of equivalent to make it more reliable. Right. So yeah, this, this probably is something I have to think a bit about. The other thing I could have done differently was my battle tactics management, because I could have planned it so that I left an easier battle tactic for my last mm. turn, I think. I suspect there were probably harder ones I could would have had a better chance of doing earlier. And that's just, I think, something I'm not very good at. I very rarely think mm-hmm. multiple turns ahead as to what battle tactic I'm going to try to do. I need to get better at that. Good the Slaves of yeah. Darkness battle tactics are. Yeah. I think, you know, they're not they're not broken in the sense of having stuff that is guaranteed, but they've got a lot of ones that are situationally achievable. And if you know them well and plan around them, I think you should be scoring all your battle tactics with Slaves of Darkness. So the fact that I didn't probably means I should have played it better. Yeah. There was there was a point a few a couple of battle table cycles ago where I think they just made are now basically putting them all into the pot of like these are achievable if you roll some dice okay that's that's fine mm. makes you feel bad when you're playing an old book but you know they can all be at the same level that's fine it's not a bad place to be in what I've seen some players do with battle tactics and that sort of battle tactic management thing so I agree it's hard and also I've tried to do that thing where you take a, maybe a slightly harder battle tactic earlier in the round when you've got more resources. And what happens then is when you fail it, you're even you're putting yourself really far behind early, which yeah. is not an easy thing to necessarily recover from, especially if you're taking less efficient 
actions to do that on the battlefield. But yeah. what I've seen people do is basically have like a battle tactic plan when they write their army list. It's like, okay, battle round one, I'm doing this, battle round two, I'm doing this. And, you know, unless the tabletop situation differs wildly, I think you probably can get away with doing that. And yeah, running to that same plan most of the times, or having like a couple of plans. Being yeah, like, I think for slave Sedan, the Raider Slave Sedan this one works. I don't like KO is definitely one where you want the plan because you want I am going to get these three units out of the boats, and then on the next turn I am going to get these three units back into the same boats. Whereas Slave Sedanus, I think they are more situational. I don't think you can plan out in advance exactly which ones you want to do, but I think you can sort of have. I want to be scoring this one on one of the first few turns, depending on the situation, mm-hmm. and sort of think about it that way. And I yeah. cannot do that and probably would if I was going to another event of this army, which hopefully I will at some point. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was 2-2 then going into the final game, so I really, really, really wanted to win. Oh, <laughs> I wanted that 3-2. And, and I got another Slaves of Darkness Mirror match, which I will admit oh, made my heart sink a little oh, bit, wow. because I was kind of hoping to play a different army. But it was a really nice guy called Liam. It was, again, a reasonably similar army to mine. He had a unit of 10 chosen, he had a unit of 20 Chaos Warriors. <laughs> On my blog, I've written a unit of 10 Chaos Warriors, but it wasn't. That's a lie. It was 20. <laughs> Sorry, paused to cough. And then he did have quite a lot. He had a lot more chaff than me. So he had, I think he had three units of Furies. He'd gone big on Furies. Nice. He had some Untamed Beasts. He had a Cockatrice, which is quite exciting because oh. Cockatrices are quite fun at the moment. Yes. And he had a Gaunt Summoner, which was great. It did loads. It completely nullified mm-hmm. my magic. It just unbound everything I tried to do. Yeah, and with the with the heroic action that lets you cast on 3d6, it has good spells, so that was solid. Did it murder anything with its fun murder ability? I don't think so. Oh, I can't remember what it does. What's you? Oh, I'm going to look at that. What's you? Yeah. He also had the. It had the Galician Champion enhancement that means when you kill it, it might come back, and that was really yeah. irritating because I killed it, and it was like no, coming back, and then I wasn't able to kill it again, so it just stayed around, being really annoying. So scenario was Draws of Galay, which is the opposite of Prize of Galay. So you start with five objectives and then you turn them off one at a time. And I like it. It was the first time I'd ever played it, but it was fun. It's, yeah, an interesting sort of challenge. So broadly, because I knew from my previous mirror match experience that the Chosen would struggle against Chaos Warriors, my plan was to not get my Chosen into his Chaos Warriors and to get my Chaos Warriors into his Chosen. I was 50% successful in this exercise. So... (laughs) <laughs> My Chaos Warriors were on the left flank against his Chosen, <coughs> but I made a mess of my deployment. So it was one of the weird L-shaped ones, and I hadn't thought enough about where my Chosen were going to end up. And I deployed them mm. last, and they ended up like quite far away from everything because there just wasn't a good space to put them in by the time I yeah. got to them. Um, I should have practiced deployment a bit more before, but I just hate the L-shaped deployments. I find it really yeah. hard to visualize it. So in something like Tabletop Simulator, when you've got, you can see it all on the, you know, you can make the deployment zones go red or whatever. It's easier, but mm. you've just got it mapped out by dice or range rulers or something. My brain doesn't process it properly. And, yeah, it just needs, like, one bit of terrain in an annoying place and you just everything yeah. has to be melted. It scuppers everything, yeah. 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 So what happened? He went first, which I was a bit surprised by because I think he should probably have given me the turn, but he wanted to go for board control, so we moved up onto objectives. But it meant that I was able to clear out quite a lot of his chaff early on. So 
so he had some raptorixes, which I think I failed to mention, but I killed them very quickly. And my carcadrat killed his untamed beasts. So at the end of turn one, I was holding four out of five objectives, so I was in quite a good board control mm. position. I got a double, and then so he got to take one of the objectives off, and he made what we both agreed after was an error, and he took off the sort of one that was most in his territory, so the only one I wasn't holding. And I think his logic for this <coughs> was that he wanted to be able to push all his stuff out and compete for things, and he wanted me to have to worry about leaving my stuff on objectives, and he didn't want to sort of free up one of my units. But that was a mistake because it just meant that I had all aboard control and he really struggled yeah. to score on objectives yeah. for a bit after that. Sounds like it seemed like a good idea in the heat of the moment, but I did not think this through. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think it was a terrible idea at the time either. I could see his logic for it. And I, I was trying to figure out what objective I would take off if I'd, if I was mm. going second and it hadn't been, I don't, it wasn't a sort of straightforward choice necessarily. I think, I don't think I would have taken off that one. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah, it just meant I was up on scoring. So then what happened? I think not a lot happened on my turn. I think my Chosen failed another 3d6 charge because they were big on doing that. And this yeah. was the turn I tried to kill his Gaunt Summoner, but it came back in quite an annoying way. So then his Chosen charged my Chaos Warriors, which just started a fight that lasted forever. So this was good. I kind of I wanted to bog them down, and it was fine that it happened, but it did mean that the game just got really slow at this point because we had big targety fights going on. I can't... Oh yeah, my... Because this was the last game and we were really pressed for time, I took no photos of it. So my exact recollection of what happened is a bit muddy. But basically, my Chaos Warriors were fighting his Chosen. And then his Chaos Warriors and his Cockatrice charged my Chosen. And there were a few other... Everything else was just like small remnants of units charging around trying to kill stuff. Uh, so the, the various fights of the Chaos Warriors and the Chosen just lasted forever and it was broadly a sort of mutually assured destruction when everything was just whittling itself down what ended up being really important was that my one of my chaos lords chaos sorcerer lords had an enhancement called conqueror's crown which means that units that have a wound characteristic of one or two can't contest objectives near them and that this is the only game in which this was important and i don't actually think i would take that enhancement again but it was really critical in this game in t because it stopped his Chaos Warriors being able to contest an objective that was important for scoring. So even though they were willing to fight against my Chosen, they weren't scoring anything as a result of it, which was really key. So yeah, the left, whole left-hand side of the board was this big, really boring fights. And then on the right, there was a really exciting fight where my Karkadrak and his Galician champion heroes were sort of sparring with each other and, <laughs> and things. And that was fun. So it ended up as a narrow win to me, largely just because I was getting slowly ahead on objective scoring. I think it, the game was really slow. I think we got about, we might have just about made it to the end of turn four with a lot of, you know, trying to get through stuff really quickly. But it, it yeah, it, oh. it was just... There was a lot of fighting and not a lot of dying. <coughs> but I scraped to win. So I did get the three and two, which was very exciting. Hey, yes. a really statistical anomaly, I finished ahead of everyone I played, despite yes. losing to two of them, which was really strange. Um, that, I couldn't cool. figure out how that had happened. It's Particularly, just, you have a low strength of schedule score, I guess. Yeah, I must have done. Yeah. I don't think they use strength of schedule. At no, they don't. Well than no, either. they don't. I don't like it as a metric, to be honest. Yeah. But so I came. Wait. I think I came. I can now tell you there were seventy-four players because I've written this in my blog. Uh, so I came twenty-second, which was definitely more than I deserved. Wow, like really I good. Really feel good like I was sort of morally 
mid table, but I, <laughs> you know, I'll take it. Is that, happy. is that the the best three and two podcast finish ever? Where did I come? Uh, me and Luke came something like yeah. the mid teens when we went to that Throne of Skulls doubles, but that was almost entirely off our soft scores. So, <laughs> yeah, and had some cast doubles, and it. They all count. They all count. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm counting my team event four and one, you're you can count that. You can count your team event four and one. (laughs) It's like what was that? Is that a reverse summary? The team loses whilst I keep winning. Feeding me feeding me worse and worse opponents. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what the analogy for that is. Yeah, I think I think the finish was kind of inflated beyond what it really should have been. But yeah, I was I was really happy with a three and two, to be honest. Like I would have yeah. I would have not been unhappy with a two and three. So the three and two I was pretty chuffed with. Yeah, same. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it was good for I feel like I know the army much better now. I would make I'd certainly make some tweaks. If you know, if I keep running this sort of general list archetype, there are some tweaks I would make to it. I think, and I think, like you said, Matthew, I need to think a bit about what I can do to make the chosen being fast a bit more reliable. Mm. I also need to be much better at using the the heroic action that lets the chaos sorcerer lords cast on three d six because that's clearly extremely good because all the people who know what they're doing are making really good use of it, and I'm not. So I think there's a case for giving one of them an arcane tome so he gets the extra cast, and then just sort of majoring on that and more reliably mm-hmm. getting spells off, which I wasn't doing. And I need to think about what I can do about the rend thing. So yeah. definitely contemplating trying running it as Legion of the First Prince and sort of experimenting with more Eye of the Gods stuff. You have to take Bellacor. As your general, then the Legion of the First Prince. I, oh, I mean, I don't you have so. Bellacor. Do have Bellacor, so yes, I could reinstate him to the army, and he could do things. That's I don't think he's a... very good. He's, Even yeah, though I'm a Bellacor hater, I don't. He's really good, but everything else he does is fairly he's right. mediocre. I, I, yes, yeah. so it depends on whether your opponent <laughs> has an army in which being able to turn off a unit for a turn is going to be amazing or not. Maybe my opinion is coloured by the fact that I killed him with the fish attack of a soul render. He did not have <laughs> of glory in that game, I think it is fair to say. To be fair, to be fair yeah. that fish has killed a mega gargan. So yeah. but if you're playing him against like I don't know, Daughters of Cain with Marathi or something mm. with Nagash or Archaon, he can be super oh, good. Yeah. That is something I like, is that you took Slaves to Darkness. I know there were lots of Slaves to Darkness there, but you had two mirror matches, and none of them involved Archaeon. That's, I think, yeah. a real credit to the new book, that it's way yeah. more credible to play the army without putting Archaeon in. I think it's a good book. Like, it doesn't seem... Yeah. People are doing fine with it, but it doesn't seem super broken. Good, seems good. kind of thing. I think and if you... the amount of different lists you can try, yeah. If I were looking to tweak your list, I think from what it sounds of your games and how long they ran is you need more stuff that kills things. Because that's generally how you win Age of Sigmar is stuff, killing stuff faster than they yeah. kill stuff. No, just yeah, isn't it? Because the <laughs> way to get more stuff that kills things is not to take the 20 Chaos Warriors as they did do a lot of work for me. So, yeah. But yeah but like you said, the, you know, the options are there, like 
Varangard over knights and things like that. Potentially, yeah. but that list is better. I'm, you know, I'm not going to quibble with that. Whether I want to paint the Varangard and the extra knights, mm-hmm. I would need for it. I'm a bit right. less Sorry. convinced about. But that would that would undoubtedly be a better list. I'm definitely not going to mm-hmm. argue on. Also, I came 26th in Blackout Six, so you are the reigning singles Ooh, champion on the podcast. Nice. Well, that oh, was I, 90 I players. Are we are we all going to Blackout this year? We are. Yes. And um, Chris. So, and Chris, yeah. And Chris. So, yeah, that's going to be our real who is the best three and two. Yeah. Who, we all just never, cheer each other on and be supportive of the competing against yeah. each other. Sorry, We've never so played again. each other at a singles event, have we? I don't think. We've never been drawn. Us... Yes, Laura could... and I played at a one day uh... Bad Moon event. Oh, so we did. Yes. Yeah, that was good. Um, that was that was the source of your hatred. That was the moment your castle made two of my and Crusher Gargans from a rush. Still, I mean, like one one time that the soreness will have like diminished that that doesn't come up every single time we talk. <laughs> I think I probably won the game. I can't remember, but that was just yeah. the worst moment ever. Yeah, I think you did in the end. I think it was really close, but it was um, classic destruction yeah. player there. <laughs> won the game, but I'm going to whine about your order army whilst I do it. I hate the Cathalar so much. She's just the worst elf. Actually, no, I mean, technically she's the worst elf. Cathalar's the second she's, worst. She's not anymore. She's not that bad. They've all been sat in the cupboard. You know, I got Teclas out of the cupboard recently to repair mm. him, and that is the most action he's seen in a while. So I'd like, like to that. see your, your Lumineth back on the table. I think you'd I'd... get so much more out of the new book with them as well. I've played a game in the new book. I might play two mm. games in the new book, in fact. But I've definitely played at least one real-life game with Lumineth, and I did really like it. I like that new book. So maybe they're blackout. My current like AOS brain is fizzing around finishing my sort of outstanding Magikin stuff, because then I can move on to Trogs or tying up some Beast of Chaos. I'm not really sure. I'm sort of in a space where I don't have, like, an exciting AOS product project fizzing in my brain. So, but I do have lots of stuff to paint, so I don't need one yeah. really. But yeah, it's still, still want to do for me at the moment. But yeah, yeah I'm to, I need to finish my Crawlboy army as like my next AOS project, but I don't have a massive amount to paint for that. So I'm sort of trying to think what's my next big army project for AOS going to be. I don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's that's about the painting projects for me at the moment because I kind of know all of that. Like, I've got Sylvaneth and I've got Pete slash Fionia from the Discord's old Zinch. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'll probably repaint some feck at some point. And but really, it's like I just want to play with this one deep kitten list that I've written, but I'm not playing yeah. any OS at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Struggling real. I've got loads of stuff I want to play with. I want to play KO now they've got a new book. I want to play more Slaves to Darkness. And then OBR probably getting a book soon. So then I'll want to play them. Fire Slayers. Yeah, I would absolutely go back. If I I was excited to play with my Fire Slayer army, this Mm. would absolutely be the time. But when I've got a fourth Magmadoth to paint. When I paint that, I will at that point want to play a Magmadoth list, which I appreciate is probably not the way to play Fast Lairs at the moment, but it would just be fun. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think the Droth list is still really good. Yeah. yeah. 
And like, there's only three more months of this season, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. Could all change again. Do you just My get delivered a cup of tea? Like bringing me a cup of tea and an elf mug. I'm this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So when you start that Lumineth army. I started the Lumineth army. I painted three models and I read, I hate painting these and I gave the rest away. Yeah. yeah that's elves. That is elves. Yeah. I've got my, my great unclean one is sat next to me on my desk here. Partly because I was just sort of sat there going like, yeah, paint more Nurgle. And also I was trying to work out if I could extract the Nurgling off of his base for a different project, because that is a bit... I thought I had another one of, and I don't. I don't really want to buy a third grey and clean one just for one Nurgling. <laughs> <laughs> At £95 pounds or whatever they are now. Oh my god. I, I need to build Rottingers. Like they do a box of skulls. It would be real good. Mm. I don't want to give too much away, but it's one very specific Nurgling I need, and there isn't really another one that could sub in. So, could you? I mean, how how good's your Nurgling sculpting? Well, I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, based on my first sculpting, my Nurgling my Nurgling sculpting is dog shit. So. <laughs> No, but there are there are some options. One of the, I'll be honest, one of them is committing to building Rotigus. <laughs> just <laughs> buying a third grey and clean one, but oh well. I don't think it's that exciting. So I was about to say, of... I feel like I saw someone on Twitter asking for that specific nuggling, but it might have been you, which would explain why this feels someone like... was me. Yes. That is why <laughs> you've seen that recently. I did not get any I can't believe Twitter failed me. A friend, Joseph, has offered me a similar bit from, I think it's the Lord of Contagion, the Death Guard character, who is, like, stood on a Nurgling, so that might work. And to be honest, they're in, they're all, like, the the context is there's a Nurgling, you get in a grey and clean one that's, like, trapped under his belly, and sort of, like, his eyes are bulging and he's straining to get out, and part of my god demon diorama that I'm working on is some Arbites kicking in a door into like a Nurgle infested room and so I thought it'd be very very funny if the door had landed on a Nurgling and the Nurgling was going like Ugh! so <laughs> but I need that specific Nurgling for that to work but I could probably pick another bulbous Nurgling and just dremel the back half of him down if I have to so yeah I hate the phrase bulbous nurgling. They're all bulbous. That's what they are. Fast and bulbous. I have a like a poly bag full of them from like all the nurgle kits I've built, and that is one of the favorite. My favorite things I own is just a bag of <laughs> nurglings, and I'm quite excited to actually be able to use some of them on this project. So, yes, right. We should probably move on <clears throat> to the other thing we were going to talk about because otherwise we'll be going forever. Gosh, really sound like I'm thrilled to be doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should probably do oh, some more talking. I suppose I should carry on talking to my friends. But yeah, well, yeah, I might do that after this podcast, to be honest. Just paint a nurgling, feel better about myself. Laura, I think you wanted, maybe off the back of your Warhammer World experience, I'm not sure, talk about tournament etiquette a bit, or make us talk about tournament etiquette. Yeah, I was going to make you talk before my voice goes, but... So broadly, the sort of context for this segment was that 
So, okay, I should say to start with, all my opponents in the Warhammer event were really nice. But there were a few things that came oh, up from my games. Yes. Was like, I guess slightly, I don't, these aren't going to be like really egregious. This person did this and it was appalling. They're more sort of things no. that fall into a bit of a grey area where I don't Cancel think there's a really straightforward, this is how you handle it, or this is right and this was wrong. And I didn't want to bring it up in the context of specific games because, like sure. I said, my opponents were nice and I don't want to be, you know, throwing shade. So I thought the, what I would do... Get the tweets out. Let's ruin some lives. <laughs> Riven out <laughs> of the hobby. Would, would be to pose <laughs> you guys some sort of questions that mm. are inspired by my event experience, but not in the context of this happened to me in this particular game. Let's say... What you think about them. Okay. Say a person, hypothetically, asking for a friend. <laughs> exactly, Yeah. <laughs> So okay, I've got I like three idea. questions, but we don't have to cover them all. We can see how long it runs and how opinionated you are. <laughs> okay. So the first one is around the acceptability of trying to bait your opponent into stuff. So, for example, I'm thinking mm. of kind of things like a situation where, let's say, your opponent wins priority and you say something like, now you're going to be able to kill this unit. And it's mm. a situation where you don't actually think they're going to be able to kill that unit. You want them to charge that unit because you think it will be advantageous to you if they do so. How far is it acceptable to go in implying that you are genuinely worried about that happening or behaving in such a way that you might get them to do the thing you don't want them to do, that you do want them to do and they shouldn't do? I have absolutely done this and I will do it again. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Archeon, yeah, yeah, like five wounds. Yeah. Piece of shit, all that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't mean any kind of lying about stats or anything like that. Mm, sure, I mean, sure, you're sure. about what the unit can do, but you're trying to imply that you think it would be a good idea for them to do a thing that would not be the case. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've tried to bait friend of the pod, Michael, every time I've played him, I think. But. <laughs> <laughs> you two have a particularly antagonistic relationship. So. I I don't know. It depends what you mean by a bait, right? Like there there comes a point where you're you're deceiving potentially, but don't know. Depends on the context. Fine, I'll do it, and I, like I said, I'll do it again. I don't think. I don't want to say that I've actively done this in that I've like gone like oh no now you're going to be able to kill my chain rasps or whatever yeah but i've had <laughs> probably done the thing that is like morally analogous to it where someone goes like ha yes now i'm going to be able to get rid of those 10 chain rasps and i've gone like oh no that's a shame i really don't want that to happen wink like <laughs> i think the the version of this you encounter the most is someone sitting there talking like talking through their plan sort of you know when someone's talking through their battle plan to mm. themselves but like half to you yeah and they go like and of course they're gonna do that if they're making just like a straight up mistake about something's threat range or something i like to think i'd probably tell them assuming i pick up on it but where they're going like oh i'm really worried about that unit so i need to prioritize it and i don't agree with them i tend to just try and not say that. In a friendly game, I probably would. I'd just be like, oh, they're not that good. But 
if someone's talking themselves into that hole, I'm not throwing a ladder down after them. No. It's probably uh, like the version of this I encounter more than like trying to actively bait them into it in the first place. And in competition, that's totally fine. Like, yeah, absolutely. And like when I say I, I bait people in, it's not in the way that I described. I usually just egg people on into doing things that like, you can see that they kind of want to do, but there's a part of their brain saying, oh, I don't know if this is the best idea. So at that point, then you're like, oh, go and fucking charge me. And the tactical brain saying, I should yeah. sit on this objective versus the lizard brain going, it's really, really fun when the horse smashes into the ghost. Yeah. And them sort of going like, oh, and you can mm-hmm. start going, well, I mean, you'll probably kill them. And then they leave two alive and you go, that's a shame. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't actually know for sure my opponent was trying to do this. And if they were, I think it was quite funny and I was completely fine with it. I think the bit when it gets a little yeah. bit tricky, I suppose, is if in the same game, you end up in a position when you're sort of talking through what battle tactics you can achieve or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to think that if my opponent is participating in that conversation, which they are very much within their rights not to, if they are part of that conversation, I would want to be able to trust that they were giving me sensible advice and not trying to talk me into doing a battle tactic that yeah. wasn't the right one. I think that's the kind of point for me at which it would start tipping over a bit. And that <laughs> didn't happen in this game. I don't have my yeah. concerned yeah. about it, but... There's a sort of can I trust my opponent in that kind of conversation question mm-hmm. that when it gets into that territory, I think starts to feel a bit pippy. Yeah. Maybe. I feel when, whenever I've had those conversations, I think the only time, so generally my experience is that people do not proffer battle tactics to you. But the times people have done that, it's been when like they're essentially saying, and you have this. There's been like no question that it's it, it would have happened, right? I yeah. guess. Yeah, the uh, I have definitely talked myself into doing the wrong battle tactic, like against a blank wall of someone being fairly unresponsive, mm-hmm. and I think that's just on me. Like, yeah, I have had one experience, and I can't remember where or who, and I, it's not something I I sort of was bitter about at the time, but I have had an experience with someone where, like, we were chatting like that. And I said, like, oh, I think I can do this battle tactic. And he sort of helped me pre-measure it and stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you definitely can. So then I did my turn, achieved the battle tactic, got the score, fine. And then he, like, countered that really well in his turn. And at the end of the game, it's like, you absolutely shouldn't have done that battle tactic. Mm. And in hindsight, I'm a little bit like, well, you're very keen for me to. <laughs> but, but again... Yeah. Talking, like, really, actually, the context was only him, me going, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is my logic. Are you happy with that? And him saying yes. And he's under no obligation to say, yeah. And well, yes, you, but you're, you're about to be by six Varen class or whatever. You're also under no obligation to play your opponent's game for them. Like, no, exactly. if, if someone's yeah. making a mistake at me, kind of like, yeah, that's the game. Yeah. Yeah. Make- I think if your opponent is saying, I'm going to do something and you know that that thing is wrong in a tournament situation, I would, unless they were making, like you've said, unless they were making a massive mistake about like the stats of my unit or something like that, I wouldn't realistically say anything. And I definitely would not expect my opponent to say that to me. I think I, yeah. yeah. One of the things I could be better at is I talk too much in a game about why I'm doing things and I need, I should not, do yeah, that. So. Like if I make mis- if I know I've made a mistake, I'll probably say, "Oh, I've made a mistake," and that's usually a really yeah. dumb thing to do, and I should not do it. And I know yeah. I know this is just something I struggle with. 
even talking yeah. through your plan like that or asking people about battle tactics and stuff, it's like, you don't need to be doing it because, yeah, yeah, it's difficult when you're you're like sharing a passion with this person and mm. wanting to like have a nice time and for yeah. them to have a nice time as well. Like that's Absolutely. definitely a midpoint, right? But yeah, um, yeah. I think it's like, more about if I was actually in a position to like mm-hmm. be on the top tables in events when you're sort yeah. of you know mid you know when you're fairly average and having a fun time at the event is as important mm-hmm. to me as it is to re-engage yeah. less relevant isn't it so, i mean i also my armies tend to operate in opposite lands to yours laura where like i will be done in an hour or an hour and a half in my games <laughs> quite often with deep game. whichever way it goes <laughs> exactly right absolutely yeah whichever way it goes it's usually a slaughter and that what you can then do is like take those conversations that you're having during the game, maybe, and shift them to afterwards, where yeah. you're like, okay, like, how did I play this? What did you think? What, this felt like a mistake to me. Did you think it was a mistake? Like, then, then those conversations, and it's better to have them after the game. Oh yeah, right? 100%. yeah. But not always possible if your game runs to like. There's a man standing over you, going, yes. "The round finished five minutes ago." I really need your applause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Etiquette question two. I feel like Matthew is going to have opinions on this one. Playing oh, with I... intent. Having bad Where's... opinions quickly is my whole thing. Yeah. Where's. So I definitely think that to an extent, playing with intent is pretty much essential to a successful game of Age of Sigmar, in that you have mm-hmm. to be able to say things like, I am moving this model with the idea that it will be exactly three inches away from this model. And if one of us slightly boshes the table in a minute, we're not going to. Yeah hold ourselves to the fact it moved a millimetre. But I also think it's possible to push that far too much and yeah. say my intent is to do a thing that is giving you a significant advantage for not having to demonstrate the skill of actually doing that thing. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah. yeah. It's, I'm trying it's, not it's... to give a specific example because this did come up in one very specific situation in the event that yeah. I was mildly annoyed by. Well, <laughs> what what mean... do you think? You're you're right. Yeah, it's important to make what you're trying to do clear to your opponent, but it's not a magic bullet. You do actually have to be able to do it. I think the only times where, like, maybe contextually, I work differently is TTS, especially if I'm just playing practice games on TTS. I'm much happier for people to play sloppy on that because it's such a pain in the ass. But mm. playing with actual physical models, like, yeah, like. You can intend whatever you like, but actually maybe do it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Like I I agree with the like the example you gave in the question, Laura, like making a move and you know, even to save time sometimes you just like stop if you especially if you establish you don't need to use your whole movement, you just stop the model somewhere near what it's gonna charge and say, Right, well, like, you know, I'm not gonna suddenly try and argue that I'm rolling a two inch charge. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. literally not possible in the rules, and I think st- intent like that is fine. Although, if you do fail that charge, you can then end up in illegal board states afterwards. But like that well, doesn't happen very often. Always like pick back and push models around. Yeah. But yes, there are. I there there are a couple of things that really really like un naturally irk me in war games and one of them is well 
The second one, which I'll say first because it's sort of less relevant to this, is when people have a dice tray and they're like, if a dice goes out of the tray, it hasn't been rolled. And I'm like, but it's there, it's a two. <laughs> because what I always do is I end up mirroring that person's behavior and rolling in yeah. the dice tray, but not re rolling the ones that go out of the tray because I don't care. Like, that's just. I play war games. Never closed on this. I am absolutely. If it has gone out of the dice tray, I'm going to re-roll it in the dice tray. Yeah. No, like if if an opponent has, like if opponent says that what they're that's what they're doing. I have made myself become really good at making sure they always do that. And if they, you know, like if they go, oh, and I've just got to roll a charge and rolled like their two d six on the table <laughs> instead, I wouldn't say, oh, it's got to be in the tray. But if like one bounced out, I'd just be like, "Ah, oh, you said you're going to re-roll it." But like you know, people are very generous with their hobby equipment. Quite often, they'll like invite you to roll in the tray as well. Hmm. But because I don't care about dice by bouncing out of the tray from my rolls, sometimes let's say you roll like a, a six in the tray and a three out of the tray, and I'll just be like, "Cool, nine inch charge." And you sometimes see people like bristle a bit. Right. But I'm not playing by your yeah. weird rule. I don't really like that. It's to be specific about what you want to do at the start, though. Like, I don't think you should feel obliged to do the same thing as your opponent, as long no, as you completely. also, when you have that conversation at the start of the game, make clear how you are going to do the rolling. I think and I that's think that the bit I should probably be fine. better here. Yeah. The, the nightmare scenario blackout against a player who, at the start of the game, is very good, etiquette from him, said, I like to play that if the dice is not flat on the table and also not on any terrain that's how it works if the dice lands on terrain any terrain at all then we re-roll it yeah and i like rich i don't give a toss about dice really i'm happy to i i don't really like dice trays and i don't really like that i just like if the dice is flat or if it's like obviously not cocked i'm not that i'm not that fussy about it just play it yeah but he wanted to do that. I said okay, and this immediately screwed me out of my some one of my first rolls was purple sunning one of his one of his models, and I rolled the one on a on a wood perfectly flat, motherfucking one, and re-rolled it, and not without prompting. I just picked up the dice and re-rolled it. I was visibly pissed off at how to do this, and I was like, <laughs> "Well done on re-rolling it, though." And I was like, "Fuck you, fuck you." <laughs> fuck you. Well, that's that. It, that was running through that's my head. So patronised, like, like well done on rerolling no, it. Like he meant it in a nice way, but it was like, oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I right. hate every second All of, of these what experiences. Yeah, like like many of life situations when you're like temporarily having to live by someone else's weird rule. Yeah. Like they're nowhere near as antagonistic as they seem when you're talking about them. <laughs> but... I think the thing is, they don't. I've never d- said I will do exactly the same as what an opponent is doing with dice. I've always just said I'm going to do this and done that with my dice, and that's I mean, been fine. You know, that's, I think you two are being too nice and going by your opponent's yeah. rules rather than by I your. Think it's the only time it's people... ever come up for me before. Like, mm-hmm. no, I, I've never had an opponent who's had a dice tray and gone, "Let's use the dice tray." They've used their dice tray and I rolled on the table. Yeah, when people do it to me, normally do it to me seems a bit antagonistic. But like when people say that to me. Normally, I just go like, okay, cool. But what I should do, Laura, is go like, is just be clear about my intent and say, like, I don't care. One of this event, I was really good at having the pre game conversation. I sort of read mm. through, this is how I'm going to roll dice. 
and I asked them like how do you want to handle take backs and we had really good conversations yeah. and on day two I was feeling ill and tired and it didn't do that didn't do and it, it did yeah. come back to bite me at least once oh, so the thing like moral nice. from it was I do want to do that at the start of competitive games and it is worth having that conversation and helpful okay totally agree Rich Going this is what you question hang on this is Sorry. what you do this is what you do before you go to the original question you walk up to your opponent right shake their hand at the table full power stance look them in the eye and just say my intent is to win this game <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah then we had the situation that came up in the game and my opponent said, my intent is to do this and I didn't think they could do it. I did make them play it out and it turned out they couldn't exactly do what they'd said, but it still ended yeah. up in a situation that was massively advantageous to them rather than me. And so all I succeeded, I think, yeah. was making them think I was an asshole. Oh, well, nice. <laughs> so, nice. You know. Don't need favourite game votes. So um, I did find it, though. I'm glad I stood up for it, I think, and yeah. didn't yeah. just cave and go, sure. <laughs> My yeah, coming back onto topic, that was this is one of the other of the two things that like really irritate me is people saying my intent like just sort of I mean the obvious example in that crosses multiple games is like deep striking and having to deep strike nine inch away and interacting with screens and saying either my intent is that you know I'm I'm nine inches away from all this stuff when I put my thing here or probably what annoys me more is like during deployment saying my intent is that you can't to like deep strike behind me yes. and like yeah i mean you can most measure cases that. what you'll do yeah measure it because otherwise you're just offloading your job your like mental strain of the game to me yeah. and i am not good at warhammer i do not want to have to spend some of my brain power doing your turn so <laughs> like it's yeah. not so much that it's Taking away your opportunity, yeah. it means it's taking away the potential for them to make a mistake because they're saying to you in their turn, tell me now if I've made a mistake so that I can fix it, rather than being able to say in your turn, you have made a mistake yeah, like, and I'm going to capitalise on it. Tell me, tell me if you've spotted a little gap. Yeah. That, like I think yeah. it's fine to say about a specific unit, are you happy that this unit is nine inches from this board edge where I've put it and then it's just like a, are you are we agreed on the measurement but yeah. you're not saying are you happy that on this whole half a board there is no space where you could sneak a unit yeah. and I, I can think- kind of see that if you're playing at like I don't know team England level it probably is reasonable to do that because you're probably never going to make that kind of mistake and so you're just mm. speeding things along but at I the level I'm typically playing at, at I all, go, I go the other way possible you- make that mistake. I don't think those players would ever even think of talking to their opponent like that. Happened to me really? at one of the Brotherhood tournaments by someone mm. who was a very good competitive player. And I went with while it. We, while time. we were being steamrolled. Was, I went with it because I just thought this is what people who are this good at the game do. And I really regret it now. Yeah, cause I yeah I've, I've never had... I've never really had people do that sort of... That Not level of asking you to play their game for them, right? Like... This is one of the things, like, there's been quite a lot of discussion online in various quarters recently about chess clocks, and actually, this is really good. Like, I don't necessarily always want to play with a chess clock, and indeed, although I've played War Machine tournaments for chess clocks years and years ago, I've never played AOS on a chess clock. But I think this is a really good argument for them, 
uh, because the answer immediately is like to like do you agree that you can't deep strike anywhere over here is you spend the time on your clock measuring it if you want to make sure you spend the time measuring in it and if i want to try i'll waste my time trying to fit this unit of annihilators in that tiny gap i think you've left and if i mm-hmm. can't i've wasted five minutes off my clock but if you want to make absolutely sure then the trade-off is it costs you in time so the best argument of chess clocks i've seen is blackout six when tomlin had to personally watch the last game of the top table because one of the players had not gone past about around three or four in any of his oh. games. Yeah, I think I I don't remember if I was at that one or not, but I think wasn't there like an accu- there was it wasn't just there was a slow play slow, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. like a, a slow play accusation as well was, in that yeah. context, right? So Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I agree <laughs> with this one, Laura. I think there's like a really fine line between having like a good conversation and the game being a collaborative experience and mm. offloading the like mental energy. I either by, you know, trying to get someone to help with your turn or or like trying to bull through it and take away yeah. the opportunity, like you said, to respond tactically. Yeah. So I guess I there's a sort of middle ground when you can say, My intent is this, are you happy with that? Or would you rather I did the thing yeah. and then it kind of gives your opponent a chance to say I don't really care just crack on or actually I do mm. think this is important enough to me that it's worth taking the time yeah. for I feel like there's probably ways to handle it though okay I guess my feeling on it is just most players thread the needle pretty right and maybe actually mm. the etiquette question is just having the wherewithal to stand up for yourself when it doesn't feel like yeah. something yeah. right and there's I rare think that's situations. Really. yeah yeah I've certainly but played a lot of it, I don't know any time you have to challenge your opponent on something like that, it makes the game fractionally less good, yeah. right? Like, if you end up correcting them on four minor things, mm-hmm. you're just four small steps less happy at the end of it. So it does have some yeah. kind of impact. Stuff. I mean, yeah. the way the way I tend to do it is, like, if people start playing in a way that it's not how I want to play a game, I just all I want to be is not there. I want to be doing something else. Right? All right. This is going to lead us well into my final one, which is... What do you do in a tournament situation when the way you want to play the game is clearly very different to your opponents? So I guess something that has happened to me a few times is that you get to like the final game of the event and you're mid-table and your opponent is very clearly in, I just want to have a fun game and a beer mode, and Mm. you are in, it is really important to me that I go three and two because that is the name of my podcast and I want to live up to it. (laughs) And how do you sort of handle that disconnect where one person is playing... a little bit sloppier maybe than the other and you kind of want to hold them to the same standards but you don't want to be an asshole and ruin their day because they mm-hmm. you know you both have you it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be that way around when you have a slightly different approach and it's in a game that yeah. isn't the most important game in the world what's the way mm-hmm. to handle that just important to note as Laura said at the start of the segment not talking about any games in specific in particular <laughs> In the tournament, and there's no way from that intro that you could work out which game in the tournament. Oh, actually, there's an element of that, but this happened to me as well in my last game of Blackout Blackout last year. I had a very similar experience when I winning the game did more to me than it did to my opponent, and I had that was actually probably that was the game that was 
that's probably more where the inspiration for this question came sure. from. Sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, sorry. Not if you're the person who played in that game of Blackout, sorry. <laughs> Fuck you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, this is this is an interesting one. I don't know that I have a, a good answer for this. I think I have, I won't say a reputation, that's not right, but like I have too much of a tendency by game five, especially, to just be like, my head hurts. Let's get it done. <laughs> You're like six beers in. Sometimes, <laughs> not often these days, but, but there's like, I mean, I think the last black, brotherhood we did is actually a good example like game three the end of day one i've played more warhammer but yes me and jimbo in that situation both had a couple of pints throughout that game having a laugh just sort of like chucking models about almost and still having a good game of warhammer with a like satisfying conclusion but just having fun and then game five on you know day two like it's a shorter day and my opponent was lovely and i did have a good game but i remember I think I was in a similar situation to you, Laura. I was just like, I really want to win a game. <laughs> I have to drive the stupid fucking black coach around the table. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what point I'm digging at here, so maybe I'll let someone else talk. But other than, yes, I acknowledge this is a hard issue to deal with sometimes. Yeah, I, th- I think probably I just don't pick my opponents up on bad play ever, really. Mm. To my own detriment. I'll tell you what I'm bad for, and this is probably why I don't pick my opponents up, because most most bad play like that happens in the movement phase, right? My opponent's movement phase is when I go for a piss. Um, yeah, that's the bit that and takes I, long and I don't have to pay attention. Basically, I mean, I understand that you can do stuff in your opponent's movement phase these days. And I, so what I'll do now is know what my redeploy if I'm going to do one will probably be and <laughs> just have a conversation with them because I'm busting. But I tend to just take it on faith that someone will move their models correctly and, and then leave the table in that situation. Not every turn. I mean, I don't have a problem, but quite often, you know. So maybe that's that's my bad play there. But it, it, yeah. I tend not, it tends not to come up and it's probably just through me not noticing it. Yeah. I think this is one of the times when probably the answer is you have the conversation before the game about how do you both want to play it and then yeah. you can kind of make a decision on do you say to them at that point okay we'll just have a fun game we won't be too pedantic about stuff or do you say actually do you mind if we do play this quite seriously because I care about winning and I didn't do that in either of the times when this has happened to me so that's on me to a large extent I think for not having had that conversation because okay. I definitely don't you know I don't think it is necessarily the case that my desire to play the game in a sort of tighter way necessarily trumps their desire to have a fun final mm-hmm. match of the event. I guess it's more something where you've got to get yourself in the headspace where you're happy with the outcome. Yeah. And when you don't do that and when you want different things is when you have more of a bad time. I guess maybe if you've had that conversation at the start and you're at least aware of, like you said, one doesn't trump the other. And if you're both aware of how the other person wants to play, you're maybe then in a position of feeling a bit like less of an asshole when someone moves yeah. something and you go, actually, I would prefer if you're a bit more, if you could just measure that a bit better, you know? Yeah. Maybe you feel yeah. like less of, because it's not coming out of the blue. Yeah. That's probably I know true. you sparked a, a conversation in our the Discord server we're all part of about movement shenanigans off the back of asking a question like this. <laughs> and yeah. there's some 
<laughs> the classic, like, why is it always corn players? <laughs> so I, I, mean, I have definitely been guilty of being doing bad movement in previous games, particularly mm. with Gargans. Mm. I struggle with accidentally sort of rotating the model when piling in with them and yeah, it's a thing yeah. that I now know I do and I'm really tight on, which means I spot other people doing it. It turns out people do this yeah. loads. But for this event in particular, I made a massive effort to tighten up on movement. So I listened to the episode of the Miscast podcast when they talked about this stuff. And on the back of that, I bought a bunch of like range rulers of different lengths. It was mm. amazing. And I cannot say enough how much I would recommend having a bunch of range rulers of different lengths and not having to faff around with tape measures when you measure stuff. And in one of my games, my opponent like specifically said, you're really good at moving the models oh, tightly. Nice. And I was like, yes, thank you. This is good. But I think the problem is that when you are really being really conscious about that for yourself, it's definitely when you spot your opponents doing stuff that isn't, you know, is in absolutely no way intentional. And in most cases is not a big deal at all, but you just, mm-hmm. you notice it because you are trying really hard to stop yourself doing it. Yeah. Yeah, measuring 12 inches from the front of a bloodthirster's base, picking it up and putting the back of the bloodthirster's base at the end of the tape mesh. Fucking corn players. Yeah. I feel like I should clarify that no one in this event did anything like that egregious at all. It was mainly just like a few coherency things when, you know, someone does a uh, move. Yeah. You know, I had a few instances yeah. of someone doing a move and me saying that's not incoherency and they'll say, they say, well, I'll fix it when I charge. And you say, no, actually, you're... You cannot actually coherency, can you fix it? And then you just feel like a trap for having had that conversation multiple times. Yeah, that's my, yeah. my first game of AOS three against friend of the pod Chris. And I was doing this piling with some a char I was doing a, a the charge move with some blade ghosts. And he waited for me to move about fifteen of the bastards. And I was partway through this move, and he just went, it's a very second edition charge, isn't it? Just laugh for fuck's sake. I had to start shuffling all these ghosts around. Idiot oh, rule. Christopher. I know. Idiot rule. Who wrote that? The, it will find you. The, yeah, that sort of comes a bit back to your, your second question as well, Laura, but the coherency one, and, like, mm. it is difficult because, like, I don't think everyone likes third ed coherency. I'm not a massive fan of it. But I hate third ed coherency. Does anyone like it? it? I've never met anyone who's uh, said, oh no, it's sick. I was, I was just being a lamentable centrist. Like, <laughs> hey, it's bad, whatever. But it's annoying when people like do it wrong because it's a very strange situation where mm. I've had multiple experiences of being like, having like the weird interaction of like not noticing when someone does their movement mm. or their charge or their pile in that they've fucked up their coherency and then being able to do the like amazing thing where you kill the model in the middle they take the model in the middle and you're like you've just killed half your yeah. unit and then them going oh well i would obviously wouldn't have done that intentionally i mean like well, I don't want to let you take it back now, but also, technically, you legally weren't allowed to put yourself in that position yeah. by the rules. So, you can't move out, right? And you can't pile out either. The only mm. thing is, yes. you can be taken, you can take yourself out of coherency by removing models with the hope that you then get back into it when you pile in. Yeah. yeah. So, something I find happens a lot is that when I have made that mistake and my model with runes is in the middle, Often my opponent will say, oh, just say the runes were on that one. And yeah. I always say... No one wants to no, deal with it, right? I would not want 
someone I was playing against mm. to do this, so I am still going to kill this model. But I've had people argue really hard that I should be able to just change it and take the model on the end off when it's entirely yeah. to their detriment to argue that. And, you know, I find that one quite weird. It's something about that you only check for it in the Battleshock phase. And every phase before that, you can take yourself out of coherency accidentally or otherwise. Mm. So sometimes you reach the point and maybe this comes on to take backs more broadly and like the type of game you want to play saying, how do you feel about take backs? And stuff. Generally, my attitude to that is quite generous or like quite, let's say, common sense. So my broad te- broad approach to take backs is, is, is like, if it was something you were obviously intending to do or said that you were going to do and then just forgot, like didn't do it, like, you know, moved a unit up on a flank, did all your charges on the other side of the table and just forgot to go and do that charge. Yeah. And then it's halfway through the combat phase. You just go, oh, fine, do it. Or, or you know, like if it's start, oh, commands, start of combat phase, command ability at the start of the combat phase. Hi, Michael. Exactly. How's it going? Exactly. If it's something like that, do it. But yeah, where it's something like this, where you're like, I don't want to punch my mic there. Where it's like, yeah. I don't want to step back through the game state like half a turn. It becomes quite an awkward conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, I find can't hear you, Laura. Say anything. Can't hear you, Laura. Sorry, no. I think I don't like talking back stuff when it's something that I have done that I know is a genuine mistake. Like if I've just forgotten yeah. to charge a unit and my opponent is happy for me to take it back, I'd be like, okay, sure. But if I know I fucked up. I would genuinely rather yeah. keep the fuck up because I feel a bit bad if I take I'm that back. I'm always, always more generous with my opponent than myself, which I think yeah. is a, a good way to just avoid confrontation. But that you tend to hope that goes both ways sort of thing. The, the absolute pinnacle example of this is actually a story from 40k tournament a couple of years ago. It was like... LVO, I think it was like the LVO final or something, or it might have been Adepticon or something, and it was a streamed game, so it immediately like grabbed the attention of the internet, where it was the final, it was like the two people basically in contention of winning. I remember this. And <laughs> it was 40k, so much like AOS, just in case anyone doesn't know, Things that come in from reserves, like drop pods and teleport strikes and stuff, come in at the end of the movement phase as like a separately defined point. So they were running low on time. They were up to this point having like quite good back and forth, I think. Like they seemed quite friendly. And the one guy, this sort of covers all three of your points, Laura, because the one guy said to the person whose turn it was, like, do you want some help with your movement? He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool do you mind, like, I'm going to bring my drop pods in here, 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 and here. Do you mind just setting them up and making sure they're nine inches away and stuff? He did that, and then the player whose turn it was went to move something else, and the guy went, you can't do that because that happened, the drop pods come in at the end of the movement phase, so now it's the end of your movement phase. (laughs) And the internet went wild about this, and it's really difficult, like, you're technically you're right, but also you've really engineered that situation <laughs> and been a was dick this about it. One when he then got the payback in the next game because the that person's opponent in the next game then held him to the same rule in a really detrimental I, way. 
Or was that a different thing, thing I'm thinking of? I can't remember the exact context, so I might just be pulling things out of my ass at this point. I think what was ha- what happened was that game went to a draw because of that. So they had to replay it because again, it's like it's the final. Like you have to have a winner, and then he managed to win in the replay. Like the the person who had been wronged managed mm-hmm. to win in the replay and had some story about he got, how he got to deny a take back or something. But yeah, I think it was one of those things where like one person was clearly in the right, but also after two weeks of talking about it on the internet, no one came out smelling of roses. <laughs> but that's a really good example of like sort of people clearly having different expectations for how they're playing and also kind of like baiting a little bit. So that's 40k for you. <laughs> I love 40k, I don't know. I don't wanna I don't want this to be the 40k hate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I find this sort of stuff really interesting. Like if anyone does a podcast that's about sort of sportsmanship and that kind of stuff, I'll it's sort of oh, thing yeah. I really like listening to because it is quite subjective and there aren't like right mm. and wrong answers. Totally. That was always all the scenarios I had, unless either of you your want to opponents. Always what? Sorry. Always bait your opponents. <laughs> that's 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 our message. Okay. Yeah. Does anyone have just to maybe sort of like put a capstone on this? Does anyone have like a top tip or two for like general tournament etiquette? Where it's do definitely you... just boring. Have the pre-game conversation. Like it mm. was genuinely really helpful for me. The games I had that conversation with in this event, I benefited from having had it and the ones I didn't I at least one of them I regretted after not having had that conversation so yeah just have the conversation with your opponent about sort of how are you going to handle take out, take backs how are you going to roll your dice how do you want to play the game more generally and it you feel a bit weird starting it but it is good I think what's your um, tip well Matthew blows his nose <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mine is I think less individual game related, but and maybe it's just more like life advice. It's just like don't be bitter. <laughs> like uh, the specific look, I'm thing I'm thinking about <laughs> so sorry, too late. The specific thing I'm thinking about is that I've been to a few events now where I've been like fortunate enough to get either like a favourite opponent award or like a painting award. And you feel really nice and happy. And I've been to a couple recently where I've had like amazing games throughout the tournament and like just felt really friendly, like had a genuinely hard time, like had so much fun in all of my games that I've had a genuinely hard time picking best opponent. And then thought like, oh, maybe I'll get that award and not get it. And having that momentary like, you bastards. (laughs) But like it's stupid and i'm going to reiterate a piece of advice that i actually gave in different context on the last tpp podcast i was on which i don't think has come out yet so i'm recording which is just that you absolutely cannot control what anyone else is like what anyone else brings you can't control any of the other four people that your opponent who you thought you had a really good time with like you can't control any of the other people they play. They might have played someone like who's the most fun person in the world. So just if things don't go maybe the way you're expecting, just like be happy for the other person, not annoyed that you didn't get your five pound trophy <laughs> to go on your shelf. But I think that you can boil that down to like individual game results as well. Like if you have a really close fun game of Warhammer and eventually you lose, then 
<laughs> sure. Oh, you're not going five and zero now, which is not a concern for most of us anyway. But like, don't let it spoil your weekend. Just be nice. Have a good time. What I've done there is just not coat myself in glory at all and show that I'm quite a bitter person. <laughs> I'm I'm so so bad for getting mad at myself in war games. Yeah, and the yeah, I, I don't want to ever seem like I'm mad at my opponent, and I I worry it can come across like that. Genuinely, I'm always just mad at my fucking self. Anyway, the best advice is smell nice. Yes, yes. please very smell nice. <laughs> Cool. Well, should should we wrap? Yeah, I think that's it. That was a good episode. Thank you, Laura, for struggling through it with your your voice. I Um, I only coughed while unmuted three times, so that's not too bad for editing purposes. Thank you. That's certainly not too bad for you or I from editing purposes. So, what do we need to do at the end? We are hosted by Tiny Plastic People. Thank you, Tiny Plastic People. Go Check out the pod feed we are in for some other cool podcasts about various Warhammer things. There are some articles on tinyplasticpeople.com as well. Some of them are about AOS. What else? Social media. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at 3and2AOS. 3-2-AOS. I don't think there's an and in there. (laughs) Oh, this is chaos. 3-2 3-2 AOS. <laughs> I'm 85% sure. Look, all our uh, outros you... are terrible. It's just law. It's, yeah, it's law. This is where the, the jokes come from now. If you've got a question you want to cover or any comments about maybe like the etiquette questions we've talked about, then you could email us at email the tiny plastic people at gmail.com. And in your email subject, please put three and two in big letters so that we actually pick it up when the email gets looked at. You could also, if you want to, and if we want you to, stalk us on social media, follow us on social media, talk to us on social media. You can find me at Rich Nutter on Twitter. You can find Matthew at Matthew CM Ward on Twitter. It's one word. And you can find Laura at scops947 on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, Insta. I always forget about Insta. Yeah, I'm at RJ Nutter on Insta as well. Matthew, do you want to plug your Insta? 37 visible skulls. Okay. <laughs> I don't really post on that much. Go on. No, neither do I. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. So That's we're it. Out of cool. the time, so that is definitely it. Oh, do we have a cap? Apparently, this is the first time it's ever come up. But apparently, we do. We've got we've got eighteen seconds. Oh <laughs> okay. shit! <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>